0: Why does your boyfriend or your sexual partner need to have your period tracker on their phone, too?
1: Here's something that happens so often in my practice. I hear this so many times. She was so into me, like, that. you know, that they're so into me, and then it's like they don't even want to have sex with me. Like, they want nothing to do with me. And, like, did I do something wrong? No, friend, she's entered her luteal phase. She passed ovulation, and then passing ovulation, she went into luteal, and now things have shifted with her hormones. But um, hormones do affect us in very positive ways. I feel like the spin is always like, oh, hormones just make your life hell and they make women crazy. They can, but not often. Often hormones are giving us superpowers and so you can understand you know when are the best times to be approaching conversations it's not usually when she's com- like coming up on her period if you've got to have a difficult conversation wait because her hormones are about to drop and she doesn't have her allies in her corner and she may feel more inward like she's doing more introspective work and now you're like look at me pay attention to us like come outside and she's not quite ready for that a week past your period, edging on ovulation, you can get by on less sleep, less calories. Like you will also feel like mm, a lot more invincible, easier time to travel. If it is just like the day before your period, day of your period, you will also have the factor of like, you're definitely going to be more tired. Your The stress is going to affect you a lot more. And again, that's because... You don't have progesterone and estrogen in your corner in the same way. So ease her strass. Lovers and friends. I'ma take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, lovers and friends. I'ma hold you down down to the end. I
0: say. Hi, lovers and friends. My name is Sham Boudram. I'm the host of this podcast, and we are rapidly approaching our one. 100th episode, What Should We Do? I actually don't have any ideas. If you have any fun ideas for things that we could do to commemorate this, I'd love to hear it. And speaking of which, out of our existing 95 episodes at this point, this one is unique. So since the beginning of my career, I have taken a medicine with sugar on top approach to education and the sugar represents salacious, sexy, provocative storylines that get you invested. And then through those, we insert educational information, tips, um, and takeaways that could be genuinely meaningful for the betterment of your intimate lives. This episode is different because there's no sugar, honey. There's no butter. There's no salt. It's just straight up medicine administered directly from a doctor. I thought it was an important episode because hormones for women and people with vulvas can tend to be mischaracterized as the villains of our life because they can cause lots of problems. But the real truth is they're superheroes. But like any superhero, if they don't have a mentor and they don't have balance, then they can become supervillains. So (laughs) Dr. Jolene Brighton takes the mystery out of that and really just explains in depth Um, how our hormones can become our friends. And what I really love about her approach is her book is called, Is This Normal? And as intimacy educators often do, we try to assure people that, yes, you're normal because there's so much fear, shame, and guilt that comes with sexuality. And people are often wondering if they're weird, um, if they're wrong, if they're bad, or if they're broken. So we want to always assure people like, no, trust me, like what you're going through is normal. What you like is normal. It's okay. And Dr. Jolene Brighton is like, no, no. It's not normal and it's not okay. And I love that. In essence, what she's talking about is anybody who has experienced pain or sexual dysfunction um, or just feelings of discomfort um, when it comes to their intimate lives, like it may not be normal. And many people may have even gone to a doctor to say, like, hey, I'm having this problem, I'm having this pain, and it may have been brushed off by somebody who just didn't know better. And she's like, I spent my life trying to fill in the gaps for women and people with vulvas who had accepted um, less in their lives and less from their reproductive health and sexual health. And I want them to claim more. So she runs the gamut in this episode from talking about um, ADHD and how that can impact your sex drive to people who self-diagnose with autism to The problem of big penises um, to sexual fantasies and low sex drive and no sex drive and acne and reproductive health um, foreplay. The list really does go on. So it's a jam-packed episode that I am going to have to re-listen to to actually get all the information. But I hope in the end, no matter what angle you're coming from, you're going to walk away learned, having learned something that will directly and positively impact your sex life and your relationship with your health going forward. So that's my big promise to you in this episode. We have four sponsors that we have to show some love to, starting with the first one, which is OneSkin. And y'all know that this is my preferred anti-aging product that I've been using now for three months. And I gave you guys such a glowing review last time that many of you were like, I will give it a try. They also have like a risk-free element to trying this out. But when you went to go and buy it, you may have been amongst a group of people who realized the promo code didn't work. And that is because this, this product is so sought after that the code that they gave us is really unique to lovers and friends but it ended up on one of those coupon websites and people ended up spamming and abusing it so they ended up changing the code on me i didn't even know that now if you have no idea what i'm talking about let me explain what this even is one skin products are all powered by the revolutionary os-01 peptide this proprietary peptide is scientifically proven to reduce age also called senescent cells, a central source of skin aging. Their scientists have shown that it can actually reverse the biological age of skin by several years in their groundbreaking research. One of my fave things about this is the dispenser is reusable. So after you are done, you just have to buy bagged refills, which to me means you know that you're paying for an actual quality product, not just for fancy packaging. Seriously, their products work tirelessly to repair, rejuvenate, and erase the signs of summer damage, ensuring you step into autumn with the healthiest skin of your life. Head over to oneskin.co and explore how their products can become your skin's new savior. And listen up close for this part. For a limited time, lovers and friends listeners only can get 15% off OneSkin with our code LOVERS15 at oneskin.co. Again, oneskin.co and then use code LOVERS15 at checkout for that 15% off. And now we head into our conversation with Dr. Jolene Brighton. I never know how to address a doctor. Dr. Jolene, Dr. Brighton, Dr. JB, JB,
1: Jolene. Miss Brighton. Let's keep it casual. I mean, we all know I'm a doctor. We've established that. If you want to call me Jolene, that's perfectly fine. I would always
0: <laughs> insert the doctor, though.
1: You put the time in. You put the
0: hours in, the work. Like, please, I, I, on my Starbucks cup, it's going to say <laughs> Dr. Booty one day. Um, so congratulations.
1: Well, thank you. And I think it is, uh, there's times that I always make a joke when somebody's coming at me, and I'm like, look, I'm the one with the big D in the front of my name, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I am a board certified naturopathic endocrinologist, which means that I am truly integrative, holistic as I approach hormones. So I'm licensed to practice, prescribe, treat, whatever you need, but I also have a background in nutritional science. So I'm very big on what can we do to keep you out of the doctor's office and what can you be doing daily to take steps towards your health so that you can thrive and feel your best. Because this Book, the reason why I called you a
0: magician is because to me, when you just can't figure it out and you can't figure out why, the answer is sometimes in our hormones. Mm-hmm. And it can tend to be the last place that many people look. Yeah. I also love the title of the book, Is This Normal? Because this is a common adage amongst among sex educators. And I think the sex-positive, inclusive way of approaching the "is this normal?" question is it's all normal. Mm-hmm. You're normal. It's all normal. But in the book, you're like, that's not normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? well, certain things like missing pain- periods, painful yeah. periods, like things that we have come to accept is like, oh, it's just normal. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I have discolored discharge. Sometimes yeah. um, I've I've gone years without orgasming. Like, oh, that's normal. You're mm-hmm. like, no, no, no,
1: that's yeah. not normal. And you could do something about it. Yeah, well, I feel like the other thing I've seen is a quick jump to like, well, you're just asexual. You you don't have a libido. You're not interested in sex. You're just asexual. And I'm like, hold up. If you've had an interest and you no longer have an interest, that's different. And that's what I talk about in the book. Like, we want to know your baseline because changes are what your practitioner should be interested in. So if you say, this was my normal, something has changed, that's a red flag. Why has it changed? And we need to investigate that. And sometimes it's as simple as like, you're stressed. You just had a baby. (laughs) You and I know about that. Like you've been traveling, you're exhausted. Like there can be other factors. But sometimes these changes we experience can be the first sign that a chronic disease is cropping up. So I dog tagged a couple of pages, mostly
0: from the TLDR section. Um, It's funny because I went to the orgasm chapter first. And when you get to the (laughs) orgasm chapter, it's like, welcome. I knew you'd come here first. (laughs) Are you normal? If this is where you began? Absolutely. Um, So I thought it was such an incredible read. And I want to just ask a bunch of nosy questions and get your in-depth answers. And we'll go like that. All right, so here's a question I've often had. The clitoris is smaller than a penis, but it's estimated to house over 10,000 nerve fibers. So we know that we all develop first appearing as mm-hmm. females. And then when you get to the 12-week period of time, that's when the penis extends from the clitoris, or if you're a female, it stays on the inside. So how is it that these extra nerve endings crop up um, from... So when they say that the clitoris has more nerve endings, are we talking about the glands itself?
1: Or does the entire structure of it magically just get more nerve endings? Yeah. I love how you say we all know this because this is actually almost every interview I've done, people have been shocked by that. The reason why we believe that the penis has less sensitivity compared to the clitoris is because it has multiple functions and it's very much external. So I think about like, wow, with how sensitive my clitoris is, if it was just hanging, literally in my clothes outside my body, like that would be something that would be overstimulating. So you would actually have to downregulate the feeling there. The other thing is that the penis is going to pass urine and it's also going to ejaculate. So it has multiple functions, multiple things that it's doing. The clitoris has one function and that is pleasure. And it's because of that one function and that only function that it was actually omitted from medical textbooks for a long time. And that is why we are so far behind in our understanding. And in fact, uh, you'll often, so I talk about this in the book, people will say like, oh, the clitoris was discovered in the 90s. No, it was acknowledged. Like back in the 1800s, it was actually discovered, but it was just taken out. In 1900s, they're like, we're not even gonna teach this in medical school. And so there's a whole lot of unknown. But that theory of like why the penis has less nerve endings because it's on the outside because it has multiple functions is our best working theory right now. I guess I'm trying to get to why is it that the clitoris has double the nerve endings but it takes
0: majority of people with vulvas double the time to orgasm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well that's an so what's really interesting about that question is that like in what scenario because some research has shown us that a woman's self-pleasuring can orgasm in as quickly as 4 minutes. I've had people write me and be like, I can do that in like 30 seconds. I'm like, well, praise be. Like, that's amazing. Like, you get it. And then um, it can take longer in a partnered situation. That's not necessarily just about nerve endings because there's so many other variables, like the psychological variables of being vulnerable, being naked.
0: Popping in because while we're talking about scenarios for getting off, picture this. You're cleaning up your kitchen at the end of the night when you think to yourself, How do I make this more enjoyable, more sensual? And you remember that you got a free trial with Dipsy, so you decide to play a short, sexy story. Now, the world around you hasn't changed, but all of a sudden, everything just feels different more vivid, more alive. Now, Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every week, which can make Dipsy your go-to place to spice things up for me time, to explore some new fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. Now, the other night I was complaining to Jared that looking for porn is such a off to me that often I just give up and don't even feel like doing anything anymore. And so if you're like me, audio can drastically change this for you. And I prefer audio. And if you do too, listen up. For listeners of Lovers and Friends, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash lovers. Let me make that clear. There's nothing I'm asking of you or they're asking of you. For 30 days, just give it a try for free. And you go to dipsystories.com slash lovers. It's easy.
1: I think about like when you do an abdominal crunch, if you put your fingertips on your abs, the connection to the brain, you can actually engage the abs better. The same thing when you're touching your own clitoris, like there's that connection to the brain happening as well. When somebody else is, you have to also be thinking about guidance or, you know, whether that is verbal guidance or that is, you know, making noises, moving your body in a certain way. And then there is the conundrum that we face, which is, you know, the the holy grail of sex, uh, you know, according to Freud, <laughs> is penetrative sex, and so that's the other thing that can take longer is just depending on what you're doing. So there's women who are like, I can orgasm within minutes if it's oral sex, if I'm pleasuring myself if I'm having penetrative sex, then it can take me longer because maybe the way you're stimulating the clitoris is, you know, it's inconsistent or you're changing things up. So it's very, uh, the thing about, and you know this, the sex research is that we depend a lot on reporting and a lot about what people are saying in those moments. And so what we understand from that is there's a whole lot more going on when it's just, when it's compared to just you to when you're with a partner. Is there
0: more, excuse me, is there more to the story about pleasure and orgasmic potential sensitivity Mm -hmm. than nerve endings? Because I also think with time, like, in, when i think about this in terms of where my body is at now after two babies i have like a shower head um that, that's like my primary sex toy right now oh, oh nice me, you right? got exactly. it exactly <laughs> and when i was younger the shower head used to like maybe 2 minutes maybe 3 minutes mm-hmm. but now i could be there for a while where i'm like damn i'm i'm tired of doing this yeah. to me but you know i'm i'm in it for the long run so is there more to the story as to why some people take
1: longer or tend to start taking longer as their body changes. Yeah, so the you know one aspect that I cover in the book is looking at hormones, insulin being one of those. So if we start having insulin dysregulation, we become less sensitive to insulin. So for people who are like, okay, what's insulin? I like to say it basically escorts your glucose, your blood sugar to the cell and it knocks on the door and says, I vouch for this, like let them in. And then the cell's like, cool, we know insulin, let's let glucose in. When there is an insensitivity or we are becoming resistant, insulin knocks and nobody even answers the door. They don't even care. They're like, we're not home today. Um, with that, glucose cannot then get in. And what we find is there can be damage to the blood vessels and to the nerves. This is well-documented in penises. Whenever I talk about this, people are like, I need to see extensive research on the clitoris. But as we already established, same, same, same tissue, same mechanism of action. And there is research, but much like all women's health, there's just not as much as there is. I mean... I feel like when it comes to sexual, what gets called sexual dysfunction in medicine, not always the great term because sometimes it's adaptation, but with that, it is always like, we have to have an erect penis. Like the penis is everything. And like, it is so important. And then it's like women, orgasms, like not so much, like not so important. So that is one area. And I'm not saying that's what's true for you, but that is one area that when anybody says, I'm having trouble reaching orgasm, I wanna make sure that we are testing insulin and insulin specifically because your fasting glucose and a hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker of what your blood sugars look like for the last three months, so it's taking an average there, those won't experience changes until much later. Insulin's gonna be the first one we pick up on. And so if we're starting to see fasting insulin is going up, we've got a problem there. And so I just say that because if you are a man, You had a penis, you report this, your doctor right away would be like, let's check your cardiometabolic health. If you're a woman, they're like, yeah, that just happens sometimes and it gets ignored. And so that's one aspect of women's health we have to look at. The other is estrogen. So as we get into our advanced perimenopausal years, so it starts in phases, it can start in our 30s. But as you get closer to menopause, which might be 45 to 50, with the average age of menopause being 51, decline in estrogen can lead to clitoral atrophy. So the clitoris shrinks. The tissue all around can start shrinking and it can become really tender and friable. What that means is you just go pee and you wipe and you could be bleeding because of that friction because we're losing tissue integrity. So that's another hormone that we would want to look at as well. Also depends, you know, some studies have shown that some women, okay, not everybody on hormonal birth control may also experience atrophy of the clitoris and of the vulva as well. And, you know, I want people to understand that the threat of an unintended pregnancy is the fastest way to, like, keep you out of the mood or get you out of the mood once you're in it. And um, with the current political state of the country that we sit in right now, I think it's important That we have access to contraceptives, but at the same time, we know the different ways it can impact different bodies and that women are just aware that these things could happen. Um, I want to ask you the
0: million dollar question then. Could excessive sex toy use, specifically bullet vibrators on the clitoris, also (laughs) deteriorate
1: sensitivity? So that's like such a common question that I get. There is no research that shows permanent damage can be done to the clitoris that way. So. Certainly with the nerves, you can desensitize to a degree where you need more stimulation. But what they've found is that you just withdraw that and the sensitization is going to come back. But certainly everybody who's ever used a sex toy, I think it's safe to say, has had a session where they've overdone it, where they've gone too hard, too aggressive. And later they're like, it feels like I was cycling, like, you know, these uh, triathletes or, um, you know, century riders, like I was on a bike seat for too long or riding a horse. So um, things feeling numb and desensitized down there. Riding a horse is not going to destroy your clitoris. Being a, a bike rider is not going to destroy your clitoris. And we know that to be true. The other thing I'll say, so back to your point of like, oh, like sometimes it's harder to get there and orgasm. I am a mosquito magnet, just so you know. <laughs> Genetically, I've been, I have been—I actually have the genes that are like, mosquitoes love you. And I'm like, fact, <laughs> fact. Uh, so back to <clears throat> orgasms. It can be more difficult to achieve orgasms when you're in your luteal phase. So following ovulation, this is the only way to progesterone. What is left behind is a structure in the ovary called the corpus luteum. And there's actually, I talk in the book about uh, the research says like, oh, there's the sexual phase of your cycle, which I love because it was the first time I came across research that wasn't like, you're just a baby maker. You're just here to make babies and like just focused on the reproductive aspect of sex for women and what's interesting about the sexual phase is that it ends following ovulation and it's dependent, like maybe after you ovulate, you get a day, maybe two, but how quickly does your progesterone rise? Because that can make it more difficult to orgasm. It doesn't mean you can't, but it can take longer. Orgasms can feel different. Sometimes, especially like seven days post ovulation when progesterone really high, it's like you know, I'm not as interested. And it doesn't feel like it did when all my estrogen was pumping and my tissues were really engorged in that sexual phase or around ovulation. And so it is possible to notice cyclical changes. And that's something to pay attention to if you're like, wow, it was so great yesterday. And what's happening now, that could very well be the hormone changes that shift. I say in the book, you Know that luteal phase progesterone, it makes you more interested in getting to sweatpants than getting into anyone else's pants. That's a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, then on the note of aphrodisiacs or even supplements at this mm-hmm. point, having this knowledge that I'm at the phase I'm in my sweatpant phase of <laughs> yeah. my cycle, but mentally I'm interested in having sex today, are there things that you can do? To increase sensitivity?
1: Yeah, well, mentally, if you're already there, you've overcome such a big hurdle. And the other thing about progesterone, I talk about like if you're in your partnered relationship, your partner has to bring their A game, really. And that doesn't look like chocolate and roses and everything like Hallmark tells you. It's really about like, hey, like, I, you know, went ahead and did a load of dishes, like took something off your plate and just eased some things up because you're going to be more sensitive to stress during that time, especially as you get closer to your period. And so way, so that's like one big aspect is if you're in a relationship, your partner really has to be more supportive than maybe they would typically be because that can put the blockades in so much quicker. In terms of increasing sensitivity This is where, you know, I have all kinds of exercises in the book. This is a phase where it's like trying to, so if you're having partnered sex, you trying to orgasm first can actually make it so that you have more pleasure and you're more likely to orgasm with penetrative sex. We know that always to be true, but this is a time where I'm like toys, oral sex, like bring in different things that are pleasurable, experiment. So I talk about all the different ways to orgasm. And actually, I don't even talk about all of them, but there are many different ways to reach orgasm. And it may be time to you know experiment and try those things. I actually talk about it's a great time in your that sexual phase, so before you ovulate, to be trying out different things so that you can experiment. You're going to be more successful and you're going to be less disappointed if things don't work for you. And then you can pull those into the luteal phase and use that. You mentioned natural foods rather than supplements. Why mm-hmm. is that? I very much contend you need to start with food first and supplements second. So, supplements are supplemental to your lifestyle. Like I own a supplement company, but I will tell you that anyone out there saying like, "Oh, you know, don't worry about nutrition, don't worry about lifestyle, just take the supplements." Like that's a scam. Because they will not work if you have you can't out-supplement a poor diet and lifestyle. They're not going to work above and beyond that. Can they enhance? Can they help? Absolutely, but we need to get our diet and lifestyle dialed in. And honestly, like you will not find any research out there that argues against that. That sucks because we just
0: want to take a magic pill and eat Chick fil A all day. (laughs) I want to talk about ADHD Mm. and bored with sex. Yeah. To the point that you made that many people today are jumping to you're asexual. Yeah. ADHD has just entered the chat this year.
1: (laughs) It feels like it, right? And autism as well. Um, This is something that we're finding more and more women in their 40s are being diagnosed with because, spoiler, as it turns out, we don't present just like little boys, which is who all of the research has been done on. Tell me more about that because
0: I have a friend, Jeannie Mai, actually just announced that she had ADHD a couple of years ago. I think Mm -hmm. she's also just got into her 40s. So why is there this uptick and what does it mean to have ADHD and how does that impact your sex life?
1: Yeah. So with ADHD, that can present in several ways, but one is you can get really bored with the mundane and sex follows a pattern, right? Sex, it can be like, you know, the the pattern of, you know, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, like these kinds of repetitive patterns people with ADHD can really struggle with. And once the brain can predict what's coming, so some people with ADHD, they're like lightning speed in how they think about things. And when the brain can predict what's coming, they're like, let me think about something else. Let me go somewhere else in my mind. Or it's really easy to become distracted. And so if it's like the same old, same old, this is where people with ADHD could do well to spice it up. I talk about, you know, what gets called kink. I'm just like, they should like, as you were saying, like, oh, it's all normal. Like everything gets termed normal. When you consider that, you know, 50% or more of people are interested in kink, have engaged in kink. You know, I make a joke in there that if you go to dinner and you have a party of five, odds are one person at your table is into kink. And kink is like, it's you know it's this huge bucket uh, that things get put into, but things like blindfold, playing around with different textures, even you know spanking, role playing, these are things that can keep the ADHD mind engaged and change it up. So, if you're somebody who's like, wow. I'm feeling, kind of, you're like, you have the inclination to check your cell phone during sex. Like there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that your body is saying, I need something different. And so something as simple as just using a blindfold can actually shut down that part of your brain, like the the visual stimulation, and that can tune your senses into something different. Now you're listening to things, you're um, you know, you're feeling things, you're experiencing things in a different way. And that becomes very interesting to the brain. What is um, very interesting is when you look at autism, there's people with autism that report very much liking being in the BDSM community, because there's rules and there's overt conversations about everything that has to take place. And how much it's like you, you know, the consent is very well outlined. The, uh, you know, what are the rules of engagement makes it really clear what they're supposed to do. And they have less anxiety about sex because when they're engaging in sex otherwise, they're like, Am I allowed to do this? Is this okay? Am I being weird? Oh, am I, is my masking like failing me now? And like, there's a lot more anxiety around it. So I think the world of um, neurodivergent sex is somewhere that we need a lot more exploration. But when it comes to women, we're just now getting acknowledgement. I think more women are probably self-diagnosing on TikTok, for example, than they're actually getting in doctor's offices in part because of bias, but in part because of access as well. And a lot of the times they're not wrong.
0: Interesting. So I have had many conversations about squirting, especially of late, and this has become a hot topic because there was a recent study that came out that said that we tested Thousands of women's uh, ejaculate and it was pee. Mm -hmm. So that's something that people are referencing quite a bit. But you said something interesting in the book where because this became such a trend a couple of years ago, a lot of people in the pressure to keep up with this and to make themselves seem normal Mm
1: -hmm. started forcibly peeing during sex. Yeah, bad news. So if you want to destroy your pelvic floor, we've certainly, I've had patients that are like, well, you know, it's it's fine if I just like push it out at the end, it's never fine. It's also like the hovering over the toilet seat or the, you know, you're in the bathroom and you're just trying to force it out as fast as possible because like maybe your kids are unattended and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I have one of those toddlers, but never a good idea because that can definitely lead to urinary incontinence, but also pelvic floor dysfunction. And with the pelvic floor dysfunction, this is where I'm like, you're not going to out Kegel your way out of every scenario. It's much more complicated than that. You may need to actually go to a pelvic floor physical therapist to rehab that area of your body because it's not only the pain problems, you can start having pain with sex. You can deliver, you can end up with issues where you're pushing yourself towards a prolapse. So the vaginal wall is actually under stress. Then you go on to have a baby and now you end up with a prolapse. And it's because we were not tending to our pelvic floor health. Many experts will say people, when they're, being pleasured
0: and they are experiencing that need to pee feeling Mm -hmm. but it's like a sensation that's coming on they're like lean into it Mm -hmm. because they say that the problem is that many people are like oh no i don't want to pee and then they clam up and then they elude the orgasm so to me lean into it sounds like fall into it or force it out Mm -hmm. so if you do get that i need to pee sensation but you notice that naturally you don't have to pee what next
1: yeah well if you get that I need to pee sensation, it could be what's going on and how you're being stimulated. It was very interesting to me. A patient of mine, she's like, I squirt every time I have anal sex. Like, that's the only time. And when we talked about it, like, she she talked about, I was like, do you have the need to pee sensation? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It can be the angle with what you're being penetrated with, <clears throat> that compress on your bladder. Like everything is very close in your pelvis and um, there's a lot going on. If you have the need to pee sensation, but you don't actually have to pee, I would say to best your ability not to worry about it and to actually focus somewhere else. So this is where we're talking about touching your fingertips tunes your brain into that area of your body, bringing your fingertips to, an, the, you know, to your vulva, to your clitoris, whatever feels good, and trying to... Uh, you, and it's. I want to be careful because I don't want to be like try to just focus somewhere else because anything that feels like effort for a lot of people, they'll be like, "Now I'm overthinking it." Like <laughs> now I'm thinking, and it's like just let it go. Pee happens, period blood happens, queefs happen, farts happen. Like it all happens, and this is a big reason why a lot of people lean on alcohol to during sex is because they're like, "Oh, it's embarrassing," and, and yes. It is embarrassing. Your list is like the most vulnerable, like situation that you're in. It's worth it. There's pleasure. There's you know. There's a good outcome, and you know. Hopefully, that's what we're working towards. Popping in because while we're talking
0: about pleasure, can I gush? to you about this 100% leather motorcycle jacket that I got from our sponsor, Quince, for $149. And I say this because I've been searching for this exact jacket, but the brand that I know that I love who makes them prices them at minimum $500. So imagine my thrill when I got the jacket. I tried it on. It felt amazing. It looked amazing. And I now know that my dream fall wardrobe can also be an affordable reality. Now, look, I love high end luxury goods as much as the next person, but luxury prices, come on now. That's why I'm all about quince. Get a 100% Mongolian cashmere sweater from $50, washable silk tops and dresses and flattering pants. This is going to make putting together your fall outfits so easy. So if you're skeptical about how they're doing this, so was I. So here's the scoop. All of Quince's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories, which allows Quince to cut out the cost of the middleman. Instead of keeping that money, they pass the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. They also have cute home products and amazingly cute sets for kids add to cart for me you might have seen people do quince try-ons on youtube if you haven't go check it out and find somebody in your size and style to give you some inspiration to get affordable luxury with quince go to quince.com lovers for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's quince.com lovers to get free shipping and 365 day returns women need an average of 14 minutes of foreplay before they can climax although it's normal to me as much as 40 minutes before being able
1: to Mm come. Can you define medically what foreplay is? Oh, God, I hate that word, actually. (laughs) Can I just like put that out there? At one point in the book, I'm like, this is such a silly term that we use because it's all sex, right? You know, I guess that's a piece of the foreplay that we can talk about is that for some people, uh, foreplay is actually starting with things that some people wouldn't even classify as sexual. And then for other people, foreplay is starting with like, Making sure your chonies make it in the hamper and making sure that like if you said you were gonna pick up dinner, you picked up dinner and like those kinds of things. So that's where sometimes we'll say, um, you know, foreplay actually for women starts like, you know, in the morning, like hours before you're even in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom. But as most people think of foreplay, it's like you have to get to like penetrative sex or you have to get to the orgasm. And to understand that pleasure however it exists however it works for you that is more than enough it's not just like oh that was good enough that is more than enough all right i do want to ask this one and then i'm going to
0: ask about vaginal dryness but size does not size does
1: matter but not how you think yeah so the size matters conundrum that men face you know we've been talking a lot about women but there's so much pressure. There's pressure on all bodies, but when it comes to being a penis owner, there is this pressure of like, you got to be a stallion in the bedroom who goes forever and knows everything without asking directions, and you better have a large penis because that's what women are into. What's interesting is that when you look at the data that we have about porn viewing, men tend to view porn that is very penis Centered. I'm like, and people are like, whoa, what does that, you know, mean? I'm like, it can mean a lot of things, but one of the things it can mean is that they're trying to figure out what are the moves and what's a penis supposed to do. And porn tends to have larger penises in it. And we also like, you know, there's so many jokes and memes and things out there that we've all heard over our lifetime about how important it is to be well hung. My friend who is a urologist is like, you want to know the person who struggles most with sex? It's the man that's like re- reaching those 8 inches. Like they struggle so much because they can't find somebody to have satisfying sex with because having a larger penis isn't necessarily better. And so why I say, you know, size, you know, matters but not in the way you think is because if you have a very large penis, it could be problematic depending on the anatomy of the individual. So this is where I'm Vaginal tenting, the phenomenon. So, we're talking, you know, about vaginal penetration here. Vaginal tenting, where the vagina actually expands, we see that the uterus pulls back so the cervix can accommodate. That's going to be necessary. And that happens as part of arousal. So, we have to get an individual aroused. There is no, you know, like the media shows us just skipping right to like, we kissed and now we're having sex. Like, it may take more time of a warm up. There's also, This great item called the O-nut, are you familiar with it? Mm -mm. It's these silicone rings that you can place on the penis that controls the depth of penetration. You may also need to do different positions. So cowgirl is one that is great because you can control the depth of penetration as well. Whereas something like doggy style, that can be a much deeper move and that might not work for you. The other thing to know is that around ovulation, the cervix is actually higher. So you can be more accommodating then as well. Having those accommodations, trying different things can really help. But also understand the primary way to orgasm, if that's the goal, is through clitoral stimulation, not actually through penetration. And so in some situations, you may be you know, on your period, your uterus is riding lower, your cervix is lower, and you're like, we're gonna do other things other than having penetrative sex. And that's okay as well. Amen to that. Let's talk about dry vaginas. Uh,
0: dun, dun, dun.
1: <laughs> so exciting too, though. Yeah, well, it's not exciting when yours is dry, though. Right. Well, so- I'm
0: actually going through a dry period. I'm breastfeeding right now yes. still. And I have noticed that there is a difference. Um, and it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, like, I have vaginal dryness. How do I fix this? And I was like, yeah. the fact that you wrote this to me tells me the only answer for you is lube. Mm. Because you know you could have Googled it. You know, you could have gone to the doctor, but you were just looking for a quick fix. And the only quick fix for this problem is lube. The rest of it is about diet. The rest of it is about hormones. And it Mm -hmm. takes a lot more work. And so if you're willing to put the
1: work in, you wouldn't have wrote me. Well, I love that you bring up that you're breastfeeding because everybody thinks like vaginal dryness, that's just like this old lady issue, which I really, people have said, like, I'm not an old lady yet. Well, that's from
0: the movie Superbad.
1: Oh, that's right. Oh my God, you am really going old school on that. So with vaginal dryness, you're right, it can be a hormone issue. And so postpartum is really common to see this. And this is sometimes that it can be so dry and painful. It's not just a sex issue, right? Because a good silicone lube, Can really help. And why I say silicone is because it goes the distance. Water, if you're struggling with um, dry vagina, water based lubes just take way. You're just gonna be reapplying, reapplying. They get sticky, it gets uncomfortable, whereas silicone really has that glide to it. Or using more oil based, which some women find is really soothing to the tissue as well. So there is the lube component. But outside of that, things can be so dry that even walking feels uncomfortable. Sitting is feeling uncomfortable. Going to the bathroom feels uncomfortable. So it happens in postpartum. It can happen while you're still breastfeeding. If it is significant where it's impacting your life, you're like, I am thinking about this more often than I should be. We may use a vaginal estrogen, estradiol, specific, or estriol, E3 specifically, or DHEA which is a adrenal hormone that's a precursor to testosterone and estrogen. So we may bring those in because that also – so the other thing is if you're having repeat UTIs, that's telling us the tissue integrity isn't where it should be. And as I talk about in the book, estrogen helps the cells produce sugar in the vagina. This is a good thing because it feeds the lactobacilli species that keeps the pH in check. So if you're like, things are kind of dry and I'm getting BV – and I'm getting UTIs, or I'm getting UTIs as well, that's a sign that we could probably use some estrogen down there. And there is so many phases in life where that can be helpful, but big ones we see is postpartum, late perimenopause, and then into menopause. Some women also experience vaginal dryness while they're on certain contraceptive pills. So that's important to know as well. It's not that your vagina is broken, you're taking hormones, they're influencing your body. And so that's, that's the hormone component We've got the lube component, and then we have to just look at like making sure that you are staying dehydrated, right? Basic things, uh, things like vitamin E suppositories can help in the vagina sometimes as well. And just know, for anybody listening, if you use a condom and you've used oil, that condom's not doing anything for you. It will break down your standard latex condom. And so we, I just don't like to mess around with unintended pregnancies or STIs. So definitely good to know.
0: In terms of regulating your hormones to get them where they need to be, the various cycles that you have, I've heard of seed cycling before as
1: something that's very helpful. Can you talk to that? Yeah. um, I have been seed cycling for over 10 years. My mentor who taught me about it, he wrote a book like over 20 years ago about it. And yes, he, um, and it was something that he used with his patients. So first thing is it's an adjunct therapy. It is not a cure-all. I've seen people out there. I mean, there have been people, look, if you're like one of those people that's like, it fixed my acne- I believe you. You live in your body. You were probably doing. Uh, people with acne have done everything. They are trying everything. So I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, like that's that's not true. That couldn't be true for you. But what I'm saying is that I wouldn't want anybody to be like, oh, I have US. I will just seed cycle. I'm not going to exercise. I'm not going to try to sleep. I'm not going to like do anything else. And so understand it is adjunct to whatever else you're doing. So seed cycling consists of fresh ground flax seeds and pumpkin seeds, starting in the luteal phase. So excuse me follicular phase so the day you bleed that's your follicular phase has started and you're going to continue those at about 1 to 2 tablespoons each daily i say fresh ground but honestly i cheat and uh i just grind like a week's worth and combine them together and throw them in the fridge so i can just grab them easily you know you're, like your mom too if <laughs> if anything's going to take you too much time it's got to go so once you ovulate then you're going to flip and you're gonna go into sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. Again, sesame seeds have to be ground because you're not a cow. You you will not be able to digest those so well. And so you're gonna eat those until you bleed again. Again, one to two tablespoons. If you're somebody who is not actively menstruating for whatever reason, we actually say follow the moon cycle because it's roughly about 29 days. Most cycles are anywhere like 20, 30 days. Like We're in a range, okay, not everybody's 28 days. And you can follow that new moon being when you start in the follicular phase, so flaxseed, pumpkin seed, and then use the full moon as the ovulatory phase and make the flip there. And we lack robust research, because like, who's going to profit off of you just eating seeds? (laughs) They're so economical, right? But there has been research that has shown um, PCOS is one of those conditions where it has been shown to be beneficial. And so, um, you know, it's going to have fiber, it's going to have minerals, it's going to have fatty acids, all of these things that really support the ovaries in what they do. So PCOS is an area we've seen, perimenopausal women have reported benefits with it. Like, we I've seen a lot of cases where people report benefits. I just like to always be forthcoming. We don't have robust amounts of information, but at the same time, it's like you're adding nutrients to your diet. You're adding fiber, and diversity of fiber means diversity of microbiome means better outcomes overall. Less like less belly fat, visceral adiposity, which means better insulin regulation, better hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all the things that y'all need to rewind and go listen to the beginning of this again to make that connection. Is that the easiest thing that you can do on your own today? Yeah, you could start that right now. I mean, it's so easy. Is there something easier? Sleep. (laughs) Can you sleep? Yeah. So there's a whole diagram in my book about the impact of sleep. And um, people are sometimes shocked when I say like. Look, if it's first thing in the morning and you've had a crappy night of sleep and you're like, I just need to go work out. No, you don't. You actually need to get the sleep because the sleep is going to be more beneficial than the workout is going to be for you. And this is something that I feel like there's been hustle culture for a very long time. And look, if you are a mom, if you are an entrepreneur, I am also those things. And I totally get that sometimes... Sleep like it just doesn't work the way I have a two year old who's still not sleeping. So I'm not even going to sit here and fake, like, I got it dialed in. I have to go to bed at like nine o'clock at night and put myself on curfew just so I can get enough sleep. But in the book, I go through like sleep can lead to thyroid dysfunction, increased inflammation. Um, You know, if you're not sleeping, we can see that there's insulin dysregulation happening. So now we're at risk for diabetes. We're at risk for infertility. There's ovarian dysfunction. So even if you don't want to have a baby, you're not bathing in your awesome hormones that are supporting your entire body, not to mention just how your ability to get better sleep and wake up and kick ass and feel your best every single day. And so That would be the first thing that I'd say is like sleep would be my number one go-to to to work on. And then comes in like what are we putting at the end of our fork and how? what are the thoughts that we're running every day and doing those additional things. But if you're dragging and you're fatigued all day, how am I going to ask you to like go to the store, find these seeds, grind them up, get them into food, like do all of these things when you're just like, I just like want to nap all day
0: I've wanted to seed cycle for a while and I'm like there's got to be a service out there so I am the queen of ready to go services I'm going to find that service and I'll (laughs) let you guys know what it is much like Drew Hill I try my best to never make a promise that I can't keep so I did end up finding a seed cycling service it's called BIA They are not our fourth sponsor. Our fourth sponsor is Uncommon Goods, but I did want to show some love to this company. The product I am enjoying, I've only been using it for two months, so I haven't seen any benefits yet. So the jury's out on that. Uh, What I like about this service and why I chose it is because they grind up the seeds for you and they give you directions on when to switch over on the different seed packs. Um, Because when Dr. Jolene Bryant was describing, I'm like, I'm not going to do all that. So I just needed someone to do all the work for me. And this company did that, but... I wanted to just try it out. And because it's not a part of my routine yet, I was forgetting to add the seeds to my lunch every day. So by the time the month was done, I still had a ton left over. But then to my surprise, I opened a box and it was a whole new set of seed cycling. And I was like, whoa, when did I sign up for a subscription? So I wrote the company and I was like, hey, I wanted to try it out. I didn't say I wanted to do all that with you guys. And then they were so kind in their response. They said, we're really sorry. We actually sent out several emails we now see that they had bounced back um, to let you know so you could have opted out. But because of that, we want you to keep the product and also here's your money back. And I just thought that for a small business who probably doesn't make a ton of profit from them to do that was really cool. So shout out to Bia. Bia. And um, kind of along those lines, let's talk about our fourth and final sponsor, Uncommon Goods. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade. They have the most meaningful, out of the ordinary gifts, and then when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're actually supporting artists and small, independent businesses. Now, I spent way too much time on uncommongoods.com lovers this morning, and here is what is currently in my checkout cart a grilled personal pizza maker, this ode to Beyonce necklace, a mama bear necklace, and a very cool sandcastle kit. I loved the kids toy section. Plus with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They have already donated over $2.5 million to date. So the reason that I have my Uncommon Goods in a checkout cart and not in my hands right now is because I had to wait for this ad to run before my promo code activated. What promo code you ask when you go to uncommon slash lovers, you get 15% off your next gift. Again, all you got to do is go to uncommon slash lovers to claim your 15% off. Do not miss out. This is a limited time offer uncommon goods because we're all out of the ordinary. Um, I didn't start thinking about hormones until I wanted to start tr- conceiving. So until I was trying to conceive and I, like many people, was like, oh, I've had an IUD. I've spent my whole life mm-hmm. trying not to get pregnant. So the day that I remove my birth control, I should be pregnant. Like, this is it. Yeah. Like, sperm, come on in. And it took me six months.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the thing that I found, I didn't need to go get medical intervention, but the switch that helped me was something called Alani New Balance, mm-hmm. which is um, also used to treat acne. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with adult acne all my life, yeah. And it wasn't until I got on that supplement that I mean, who's to say what it was? I was also mm-hmm. doing I was doing many things when I was trying to conceive, but everything was um, things I could buy off Amazon. But I got pregnant six months later, and then after that point, because for the past three years I've either been breastfeeding or pregnant, yeah. I can't buy a pimple, yeah. So to me. From 14 until age 34 years old, mm-hmm. I deeply struggled with this problem. Yeah. Once I started working on my hormones and then once my hormones had such a larger role in my life because of the fact that I was doing these two things, yeah. that seemed to cease. To me, that seems to math out to, well, my hormones are now regulated in a way that they never were before.
1: Yeah. Well, the majority of acne that we see is hormonal acne. And one of the big culprits can be androgens. So testosterone yes. is what people think of, but there are many different androgens out there. And so that's where we have to look at like, do we need adrenal support or, you know, do we need to actually be working on the androgen level? So with that, um, so I do want to say it is like it is important what you said that you had the IUD removed and you didn't get pregnant immediately because when we start birth control very young, we're almost all told like. But I was on the copper one. On the copper one, mm. okay, yeah. So well, they I d- tell you that you can get pregnant tonight after yeah. you see that bad boy well, out. Well, so here's okay. I'm gonna go back to that. So first thing I want people to know that when you're told when you're very young, you can get pregnant immediately, but then when do we wanna have babies? Not until our 30s, that that age can play a factor in things. And then also like your body has been through some stuff living on this planet in terms of affecting your hormones. With the Copra UD, that is localized inflammation happening in the uterine uh, and specifically the uterine lining. And there are women, and I've seen this in patients where it takes several months to get pregnant after having it removed. It doesn't block ovulation, So, you know, it's not necessarily that component and it may very well be the inflammatory component because it's it's, it's getting your immune system all hot and bothered and then that could take some time to dwindle down. Now back to the androgen piece. So something that can be really helpful, we see this, the research primarily comes from women with PCOS. However, I use it in women who don't have PCOS is myoinositol. And specifically, 2,000 milligrams of myo to 50 milligrams of uh, D-choiroinositol can help with not just blood sugar balance, but that is also going to help with testosterone production. So if you have PCOS, we have to work on the blood sugar piece because insulin stimulates the ovaries to produce more androgens, and androgens uh, can them being. Uh, We can have ovulatory dysfunction, so we're not ovulating regularly, but it also can affect the egg quality as well. So women with PCOS, they can have lots of eggs. Uh, So for instance, they go through IVF, they can have lots of eggs, but none of them are very good because of the way the androgens are affecting it. So myo-inositol has been shown to help with the androgen component, help with regulating menstrual cycles, and help with uh, egg quality overall so you have healthier eggs. And so there are... um, three things to consider for egg quality that are often overlooked, which is myelinositol, melatonin, and having adequate thyroid hormone in the follicular fluid. No one's going to measure your follicular fluid unless you're in a study. But if you have ample levels, it will be in the follicular fluid and that can help you get a healthy mature egg that becomes a healthy embryo that results in a live birth. So um, I don't actually know the supplement, like what you were uh, referencing, like everything that's in it, but I can list off. Would it be helpful to list off things good for acne? Yeah. Okay. Myoinositol can be helpful. Zinc, vitamin B6, N-acetylcysteine, which is an antioxidant precursor to glutathione. These things can help with hormones overall. And omega-3 fatty acids. So there's another component. is a hormone called IGF-1. And omega-3s, they get slept on when it comes to acne. But what has been shown in the research is that people who have higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, it correlates with lower levels of IGF-1. Like enough, just what you need. But IGF-1 can drive acne as well. So with acne, we can have the bacterial component of what's on the skin But we usually have the androgens producing excess sebum, IGF driving that whole component as well, IGF-1, and then the increase basically of keratin happening as well. And that's leading to clogged pores.
0: In a final answer, somebody out there wants to have better sex, Mm -hmm. right? You come to this podcast probably for that reason. You want to experience more pleasure. You want it to be faster and harder and wetter and juicier and more exciting and all of the above. Um, is there a quick
1: hormonal fix, a secret sauce that's out there that you'd recommend? Uh, Decrease your stress through mind-body practices. That is one thing that uh, can almost universally help people. So when you're decreasing your stress, you don't have the stress hormone blockade. Stress hormones will pull on those adrenal hormones in the way that basically your body's like, I will choose survival over procreation. And whether or not you want to have a baby, your body's like, sex equals baby, let's do this thing. And that's just the how biology is running. So we want to just like trick the body and be like, sure, you can think we're having a baby. We're not doing that. But getting that safe signal to the body where you feel safe in the environment. And that can, you know, look like a variety of things. And it really depends. I outlined so many ways to reduce stress, but the mind-body practices of like, Walking barefoot on the ground and paying attention to how do your feet feel on different textures, the act of just being present with your food, smelling your food, tasting your food, seeing your food, really slowing down in those ways, that will translate to better sex because then your mind is primed. The neuronal pathways are primed. To when you engage in sex, to slow down, pay attention, fill every sensation, be in the moment with all of that. And so you're fixing your hormones throughout the day, but you're also priming the nervous system to have better sex. I talk about the research of Bancroft and Jansen, the dual control model in the book. And one, they talk about gas pedal breaks. Breaks is like, you know, essentially turnoffs, things that shut down, any kind of go, go, go signals. Hormones are one of those. Stress is one of those. And stress and hormones work together in concert that way. So if you think about like, if one of your stressors is that you're under eating Or one of your stressors is that, like, you are sitting in traffic feeling panicked all the time. Under eating, your body's like, are we in a famine? Like, I don't know. Maybe there's not enough food available. Being in the car, being stressed, like, you know, maybe, you know, every, like, oh, just being in L.A., right? People running stoplights. There's all of these times where your stress is spiking. And that's an additional stressor where your body's like, there must be predators around because we're getting the signal all the time that we're gonna die. Like, we feel like we're gonna die all the time for all of these stressors. Our We get to work, our boss is yelling at us. Like, your body's like, is he gonna kill us? Like, I don't know. You know, like, you know what's going on, but your hormones and your entire system has not evolved to this in modern world. And so- If it knows that there are threats, the worst thing you could do is be pregnant, right? Because how do you run from a predator when you got a big old belly? Or babies are noisy. If there are predators lurking, like that's gonna draw a predator in. If there's not enough food, how are you going to sustain this life in your body and sustain it once it's out of your body? So your body is always like, how do we live for the long haul? Like how do we protect and keep you safe? And so if you're inundated with stressors, it will shift and it will compensate. This is where people will be like, oh, it's dysfunction. It's not dysfunction. It's compensation for your protection. The problem is, is we were never designed to be under this type of chronic stress and inundated day in and day out. And so that's what we have to look, and certainly stressing about not being the moon, not being able to orgasm, uh, not being wet enough, like not pleasing your partner. Like women especially, run so much more going on in their mind. I was just... You know, making a joke the other day about uh, somebody who was like, oh yeah, my like husband didn't even think about that. And she's like, and I already thought like a week ahead. I'm like, yes, that's what we do. We're like very, We're very well wired, most of us, to be thinking in that way. And so it's not uncommon, nor is it abnormal, if you're the person who's worrying about your orgasm that you might not be able to have three days from now when you get back from a trip and you see your partner. And so calling attention to that and asking yourself, Like, how real is this? Like, how real is this? And giving yourself permission to enter into sex without the expectation of an orgasm. I talk about in a book a common exercise that gets prescribed, which is pleasure mapping, of like, genitals are off limits like none of the fun parts so to speak and go exploring for the sake of pleasure and see what other parts of your body get, are you know stimulated and excited by touch and by the different things that you can bring in so again you know is it a feather or is it some leather is it lace like you know these different sensations uh blowing on people as well don't don't miss that one the, the hairs they have little nerves on them as well love to be stimulated so With that, though, when you take sometimes sex off the table like that's not even going to be the thing, that can ease up a lot of people's worry about having sex. But anybody listening, if you are feeling like you are worried about that, that is normal. Society has told you to be worried about all the things. You've been programmed to be uh, and conditioned to be worried about all the things. And yet you can do practices that start to remove that worry. And again, going back to... Just having pleasure for pleasure's sake with no goal in
0: mind. It's interesting because I talk about this in another podcast episode because I've been in this space now for a bit of time and the orgasm gap when I began was three to one Mm. and now it's two to one. And that is because of the hyper-focus on orgasm that we've had, that you have a right to orgasm, your body does orgasm, like demand your pleasure. And as much as that messaging has been powerful in helping people become more clitorate and helping people assert more for what actually works for them, it's also... Become the hyper focus yeah. of sex, and it's not really what the point is.
1: Yeah. Well, and as I had said before, the research I talk about in the book—if you ask people like what to think about your best sex ever and what was the most you know pleasurable experience you had—what was it about it? It was connection. It was empathy. It was being intimate with that person. It people don't list orgasm. They don't look back at the best sex and list orgasm. But in the moment, we all think that's the thing we have to get to. And I think it's also important to understand that if you are somebody who when you, like I just explained all the stress stuff, And you're like, no, but stress gets me in the mood. I want to have sex. You are also normal. And because- Is that arousal confusion? No, not necessarily. So what it is is that you get stressed and your body's like, you know what? We'll shut cortisol up and boost oxytocin, which is going to combat the negative effects. So cortisol is good until it's not. And then it's very pro-aging on the cellular level. Orgasms will do that. And the body, you know, also will know, your body and mind are like, when we have sex, we calm down, we're focused, we're in the, you can't, I mean, having an orgasm is an act of mindfulness. So it is in itself its own stress release technique. And so for some people, they're like, this can really help with my stress levels. It shifts my hormones. It shifts my mindset. It gets me so I stop like tallying up all the events of the day, and I just get really present in my body. What's interesting is when you said that because I think a lot of women stress
0: is a break, sexual Mm -hmm. break, and for a lot of men, stress is a sexual accelerator. Yeah, Um, and I hear from a lot of men whom at the times that they feel their lowest, and this came upon this came to light in the fruit the. This came to light in the pandemic quite a bit yeah. because people were dealing with stress in different ways. To totally. you find yourself in a house with somebody who wants to have sex all the time mm-hmm. because they're unsure about their job. They're unsure about their health. Yeah. They're afraid because they're the protector and they're feeling scared. So they want to have sex to overcompensate. And the other mm-hmm. person is like, how can we have sex? The world is crumbling. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear that, that there are these two natural responses. Someone else said to me uh, on the last point I want to make in that they were going through an eating disorder, but just a highly stressful time or somebody else actually was in a very stressful relationship. And both of those people had self-diagnosed as asexual Mm -hmm. because their libido just went away altogether Yeah, and later found out that the body tries to conserve energy. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have enough food, your body is like, can we even get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, So we're going to stop all other systems to make sure that we conserve energy for this one particular thing. Um, And the other person who was in a relationship with somebody and their libido went away altogether, that person might be looking for quick fixes. Mm -hmm. Why is the answer sometimes to get out of that situation and find a new partner?
1: Oh, my God. Like, why is it that we settle so much for – if somebody is constantly a source of stress for you, like, you know, as much as I think we can be like, oh, gosh, like, this is, like, not working for me, understand it's not working for them. And sometimes – You know, I think about this, like when I've had to let employees go, which I used to like dread that. And I realized that like, if there, if you're not, you're not, you know, living up to your potential, like, and I'm holding you here, like, you know, having that conversation with you of like, are you happy? Like we, you know, we should look at a change. Now that's just, that's a different kind of relationship, right? But like, it can sometimes be such a gift to both of you to end that. And I think so often there's this fear of failure. That we have in relationships, and of like, I don't, I don't want to be that statistic, or like, I don't want to hear it from my mom or from my friends, or like from someone of like how I didn't be able to, I wasn't able to make this work. But sometimes things just don't work, and you're not compatible. And to your point about the self diagnosis. That's what I talk about is one of the most important aspects of libido is what was your normal? If you tell me there's a change, that is different than you telling me I just have low libido and I've had it my whole life. And we talk about that. And oftentimes I find with patients, I'm like, no, that's your normal and it's okay. You're just not inclined to initiate sex. And society's told you that means a low libido and that's not necessarily true. But You know, to your point, in those relationships, it can also sometimes be hard because we think that, like, we see these extremes of what bad relationships are and we can gaslight ourselves. We're very good at that, myself included. Um... We can gaslight ourselves to think things are not so bad or it didn't happen the way I thought. And we can also just start comparing. And I think that is one of the most detrimental things we do in life is when we start comparing and being like, well, it's not that bad. Like it could be worse. Yeah, but you're gonna wait for it to be worse or like you've only got so much time on this planet. You need to get what you came for and you need to be spending the majority of your days feeling like this is your best lived life you have done so much.
0: You have given <laughs> more than you could possibly have consented to. So thank you for staying this long. <laughs> yeah.
1: Tell the people all about your favorite places to learn more about you and your work. Uh, so you can find me on my main hub, which is drbrayton.com. Tricky because my name's spelled a little different. So it's d-r-b-r-i-g-h-t-e-n.com. And then I'm all over social media at drjolenebrayton. The book.
0: Tell them about the book.
1: Oh, the book. The book's everywhere the books are sold. So uh, support your local bookstore if you can, but it is also on Amazon and Audible or Kindle if you're like, I just need to make it easy on myself.
0: Shout out to Dr. JB. Thank you for coming through on Lovers and Friends. And like I said at the top of the episode, we're coming up to our 100th. What should we do? I need ideas. And the best place to communicate with me, because you could DM, you could comment of course there's many different platforms that the podcast shows up on you could be on tiktok you could be on instagram shorts or youtube whatever the what's all the same shit guys It gets very confusing nonetheless a place that i constantly and consistently read and i guarantee i will see it is the rate and review section i check that every single week And that's a way for you to communicate to me what you like about the show, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, ideas for our 100th episode. And also, it's a way for you to tell me what's great about you. I mentioned this before that because I know it's a big ask, you have to go to Apple Podcasts or to Spotify Podcasts, go find Lovers and Friends, find the rate and review section, and then write it in, which is probably not part of your normal routine. And I recognize that, that it's a bit of work. So I have said to you, please, if you take the time to rate and review the podcast, I in turn um, will read out your reviews. And if you promote yourself, I'm going to read that out too. You know, people pay a pretty penny to advertise on podcasts like Lovers and Friends, and you can do it for free. So let me read a couple people who I want to show some love to. Golden Lux 87 said, Shan... This show is always the highlight of my week. I thoroughly enjoy listening and learning. My hubby and I sometimes listen together and often pause the episode to discuss our thoughts. One episode, you mentioned that you wanted a Moscato-like wine recommendation. We both looked at each other with our mouths open because we have a private wine service company called Sumptuous Selections. That is sumptuousselections.com, where we are trying to bring the sexy back to wine. She then goes on to talk about the story I talked about. And then she says, if you want a fun, approachable wine tasting to jumpstart your relationship with wine, hit us up. I'm going to go to the website right now. Um, I actually, I'm still like, I've tried guys. I'm still a Moscato only. And I actually came off of it for a while. Cause I was like, I don't need it as much. I needed it a lot when my second daughter was first born. It was just like, just a lot, you know, managing the two. Now I've gotten the hang of it. I don't rely on something to take the edge off the day as much, but this weekend, we went to Jared's dad's house for like a pool day. And uh, we were at the liquor liquor store getting Jared's dad a birthday gift. And then I was like, yo, let me get some Moscato and just like make this like a fun vibe. And y'all, I had so much fun at the pool. (laughs) I had so much fun. I was just like feeling so nice and loose. And um, uh, later on, I was like joking to Jared about it. And he was like, yeah, you were acting weird. My dad asked about it later, like was Shan drunk. And now I'm so embarrassed that like, I was drunk at the pool with my kids and my husband's dad noticed. So, but anyways, I had a great time and nobody drowned. Everybody was wearing life jackets. It was all good. So I just wanted to share that story. Okay. This other one comes from DJ Silk. So he gave a really in-depth analysis of my, my parents remind me of Jada and Will episode and really enjoyed reading this. I love in in reading people's in-depth Um, reactions and perspectives. I learned a lot from it. I'm not going to read it all because, you know, I want to get to the part that actually is meaningful for DJ Silk, which is the shout-out part. So Shan scolded me for leaving a review and not providing my info. Yes, I did. So... For the record, I intentionally left out my info because I didn't want to distract from my genuine admiration for her and the podcast, but I'm not getting scolded again. So to check out the podcast version of me, go to the Cultured Misfits podcast. For the DJ version of me, you can go to DJSilk12 on Mixcloud and all of my links can be found in my bio on Instagram at DJSilk. Shout out to you for securing that Instagram username. You must have been on there from the beginning to get that it's literally spelled how you think DJ S I L K. I will go check those mixes out and I will not scold you again um, and I'm happy to show you the love so speaking of love love to all of you those of you who have read and reviewed especially but even those of you who haven't if you've listened this long and given me this chunk of time during the week um, just thank you I love you and I love chatting with you and I cannot wait to see you again next week Lovers and friends, uh, I'ma take
1: you on a trip, baby, I don't pretend, I say, lovers and friends, uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end, I say, lovers and friends, uh, lovers and friends, I said, lovers and friends, uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end. I'ma wax that, I'ma tax that Bring it back so you
0: can mac that, pack that Where you going? Press play, podcast streaming Got you going all day, talking about the good, good Girl, you know you look good Sex, premium, sex, feeling understood Yeah, you finding out he no good But if you listen, pay attention You can find out how to make a miss it Got a ticket, baby, you just lovers and friends Lovers uh. and friends